When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Town, Peckle Park, a new beginning. Let's go. Started back rocking the brown. Ever since we've been knocking them down. Baby says you want to go to the game. Taught her how to say Padre gang. Started back rocking the brown. Ever since we've been knocking them down. Mitchell and Ness with the old school name. All of the homies holler Padre gang. Yeah, they... Good day, everybody. Welcome to episode 222 of the Talking Ferraris podcast and YouTube show. I am here with a special guest. It is Bryce Miller of the San Diego Union Tribune. We're here on an off day. Padres play the Royals tomorrow. Coming off, uh, what, a 5-7 and seven stretch against the Nationals, Marlins, and Guardians. I was not expecting to say that. Uh, but Bryce, thank you so much for hopping on here. Yeah, glad to do it. Even the Padres on days are off days these days. <laughs> right, exactly, especially with their offense. Offense. Um, so, yeah. Brutal. Uh, by the way, just to get started here, this episode is brought to you by Gaglion Bros Famous Cheesesteaks and Garlic Fries located inside Petco Park and on Friars Road. Uh, Gaglionbros.com is their website. All right, so we'll talk about Tatis, um, his apology, Preller, uh, and the trade deadline and all that stuff. And, of course, this Padres offense uh, a little bit at the end. Uh, but, Bryce, first off, starting with Tatis, um, he obviously had that apology uh, this week. And I'm sure you were probably shocked, you know, at the news when it first came out, right? I believe you were in Washington at Nationals Park uh, and spoke or Preller was speaking to you and the rest of the media. Do you think his tone, Preller, that is, his tone has changed since uh, – talking with Fernando face-to-face because he obviously didn't talk to him face-to-face before this week, probably, or it was last Thursday, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're right. I was in D.C. I, I, they sent me out on a trip. I actually started in Chicago with the Nationals who were playing the Cubs to try to get ahead of the curve and talk to a bunch of people and do a deeper profile on Juan Soto, which which was working out well. And I got a couple other columns, uh, talked to Luke Voigt. He, he talked for the first time about the Eric Hosmer no trade clause uh, that he exercised that, that changed uh, Luke's mailing address and then yeah. caught Mackenzie Gore on the first day and got some stuff done there. But got to D.C. and that day I was talking to a range of people about Juan Soto's warm homecoming in, in Washington, even though it had only been a couple of weeks uh, since he was traded. Um, you know, talked to Nelson Cruz for the Nationals, talked to just a lot of different people. And then all that stuff got tossed into the wood chipper when they said Tatis had an 80 game suspension for failing a PED test. And yeah, it was it was really shocking, not just because they've waited so long to get him back, but the, the caliber of player that he is, the national footprint that he has in baseball, everything from video game covers to commercials. Um, this isn't a very good player on a team. This is a player known nationwide. This is a player that sells jerseys from coast to coast. Um, and, and he'd been gone you know, uh, at this point because of a, another questionable decision he made to ride a motorcycle in the Dominican Republic, fractured a wrist. And uh, so he had missed, you know, the entire season up to this point after last year, um, missing, <clears throat> I think, three IL stints with the shoulder yeah. or, or other things. Um, so he's, I think I, I think I figured it out by the end of the season, he will have played less than half, I think, of his available games since he became a Padre, which is incredible given that he has a 14-year, $340 million contract. That's an unprecedented level of investment in years, if not the combination of years and money. Um, now to know that there are 80 more games uh, that he won't be able to, to play for the Padres. Um, that day, you mentioned the Padres texted up, you know, some of the more consistent people to cover the team, A.J. Cass, well, he wasn't on that trip, but Dennis Lynn, Kevin AC, me, um, Bally's was there and we met in a tunnel and met Preller and he, he talked for the first time. And <clears throat> although his blood pressure doesn't really measurably rise in any no. situations, he's a little, he's almost a little robotic in that way, no matter if he's telling you a joke or he's telling you about losing his star player for 80 games, his facial expressions, his body language don't significantly change. But the words he chose, the words he used were pointed and, and really powerful. Um, he talked about they'd have to rebuild trust. He'd lost that. Um, talked about a pattern of behavior um, in terms of maturity and decision making. He he really laid out the case that uh, as diplomatically as he could, the Padres are really frustrated. And they were and they are. And uh, so I was interested Going to your initial thought, went at the in the dugout the other day uh, when Tatis spoke for the first time. What would AJ sound like? What would he? What words would he choose? Um, he still held ground on a lot of those key points. I thought, um, and I think there was impact. I, and you don't know if the impact was from the meeting with Preller. You don't know if the impact was the meeting with owner Peter Seidler. You don't know if the impact was a combination of that and meeting, you know, facing his teammates for the first time in the clubhouse. But Tatis was certainly humbled and remorseful. I mean, you can't you can't fake that. Um, you know, there, there's an Academy Award in it for him if if he did, but it didn't feel that way at all. Um, but some some things he mentioned. One, 
you know, he's going to stay in San Diego for more of the offseason. That's code for trouble is waiting for me in the Dominican Republic. You know, every, every star who grows up has family in their ear, have friends in their ear. Everyone thinks they know the right thing to do, but the people actually paying and investing in him, um, they need to be the ones clearing medications and they need to be the ones fielding questions about, is this okay? Is this not okay? So I think just the fact that he's going to spend more time in San Diego was telling, even though that didn't get pointed out a lot in, in what he said. But he also said he's not going to get on a motorcycle again. He said he's going to get the shoulder surgery that that the organization and fans have scratched their heads about. Why not get that done, you know, sooner when he was when he was already out of the lineup, you know, to get those things done and be the healthiest version of himself when he returns to the field. So in a couple three ways, um, he said some things that he wouldn't have said before. And uh, in that way, I thought, you know, not just Preller, but what Tatis said was it was really interesting, too. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Tatis actually wanted to do the shoulder surgery? No. Okay. I know he obviously said no before. So this is more of, okay. I want my trust back with my teammates and with AJ and Peter in the front office and the organization. And I want to show fans, hey, (laughs) I want to be, you know, as fully healthy as I can uh, when I do come back at the beginning or in the, you know, May or whenever it is of next year. Yeah. I guess I should clarify that. No, it was me assuming you were talking about before, definitely before he did not want to get, right. he told Kevin AC last season, I've quoted it in a couple of columns, you know, he didn't really want to deal with getting cut with a knife, you know, some version of that basically saying he's uh, he's not a big fan of surgeries in general. Uh, I don't know that anybody that is, but in professional right. sports, it happens all the time. But he, he clearly then wanted to avoid surgery. Now he, he mentioned, which was another thing that there was just so much to unpack with when he talked that all of it couldn't get covered. But he said he started to feel the shoulder a little bit as he was coming back and said he was thinking about it was in his head. Like, do I dive in this situation? What You know, when 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 you're a player like that, who is especially reactionary in terms of what he does physically on a baseball field. Uh, hesitation and second guessing um, changes his game, changes his game probably as much as anybody, um, you know, because he, he just, he, there's so much muscle memory and there's so much just, uh, you know, it's built into him to react to a baseball, whether it's at the plate or in the field. And if he has to think about it, hesitate, even for a fraction of a section second, it's different. So maybe that part was real and he thought, okay, now I'm coming around to the surgery, but definitely before he, he did not want to have the surgery. Right. Going back to that press conference, well, not a press conference, but the media scrum in the dugout, what was that like? I mean, I saw tons of cameras, uh, you know, people were definitely anticipating that. What was that environment like being there? A mess is what Mm -hmm. that environment was like. I mean, there were so many people in the dugout the players and others trying to come out of the clubhouse to get onto the field had to take this circuitous route behind all the media. In fact, they tried to clear it out, but there was easily a couple dozen people there. And that that gets pretty tight in a space like that. And uh, all the cameras, you know, I asked them why they did it that way. A, A spokesperson for the Padres, I said, why not do it in the interview room? It's not as formal as the big press conference room, but the cameras would be in the back. Everybody would sit down. It'd be a lot more organized and easy because uh, you knew a lot of people were going to show up for this. Mm-hmm. And they said they felt like Tatis was more comfortable in the dugout. And I 
I questioned that myself just because everybody was so crushed up on him. And it was like, that, that didn't feel comfortable to me at all. Um, but, you know, I guess they, they talked about it and that might have been his preference. Um, but it, yeah, it just, it was a lot. And, and he got asked a lot of tough questions too. And he should have. And, and uh, the one thing he never uh, did, he was never defensive. Um, you weren't getting eye rolls at certain questions. You weren't. Um, it was just in concert, you kind of looked and listened and felt like this guy uh, is really sorry for what happened. Now, as I wrote in my column the next day, it, there's a couple of kinds of remorse. There's the remorse, hey, I got caught, mm. and that kind of remorse, and there's the real genuine stuff. But especially when he started talking, the look in his eyes, and he was lowering his head and his gaze a little bit, um, he's really been hurt by all this. And, he, you know, he'll recover financially. He'll he'll make enough money over – that's a guaranteed contract, which is another big question for the Padres that they did this. And, and it's been torpedoed multiple times along the way very early in his career. But he's going to make enough money for 200 lifetimes over the course of his contract. So it's not the financial hit he'll take in the short term, not getting paid. These are not the big multi-million dollar years of his contract. Um, so on that end, it's not a big deal. But I just think it's it's embarrassment for a guy who's on the biggest stage nationally. You count on one hand the most exciting players in baseball, and there's nobody in this country who's going to name – their top five and not have Tatis in it. So I, I think you felt kind of the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment that was real. And, uh, you know, moving forward, it's, it's up to him to show that, you know, actions do in fact speak louder than words. And in this case, that's going to be critical. Mm -hmm. So did you, you believed Tatis's apology? Um, I believed he was sorry, embarrassed, okay. and remorseful. Um, mm -hmm. Do I believe his story about the topical cream? Um, I don't know. I'm just being honest. Mm. Uh, we, we've got a fantastic, uh, I've got a fantastic colleague, Mark Ziegler, who covers the Aztecs in basketball. And he's done a bunch of Olympics for us, but he's kind of carved out a niche with Olympic doping stories over the last couple of decades. And he's just so connected and knowledgeable. And he wrote a, a couple of pieces. And, and the one I thought was really fair was framed. Is it, is it possible that that explanation is true? Maybe. Is it probable? Probably less likely. Um, but but it, it is possible, apparently, although we, we get emails all the time of, is this even used for that? I mean, there's still a lot of questions related to what happened, but he did at least lay out the timeline of, um, I think he tested positive in, in late July. Mm -hmm. um, he was still using the, the topical cream, uh, he said at the time. Um, so, you know, until we know more, if we can know more, uh, that that's I think everybody individually has to kind of weigh all the, the facts and kind of gauge the temperature of the room and decide if they believe his story. And I, I still know a lot of people who don't. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's get to A.J. Preller here. We'll talk about the Padres offense, too. Uh, I, I was fascinated by after the trade deadline, uh, you know, you were writing. I think Jeff Passan said it, too, about, you know, the events and how that trade deadline went down. Uh, that night before the trade deadline when the Soto deal was, you know, really made. Uh, and it was, you know, before midnight, and then he came home. And I, I forget if it was you or if Passon said this, but, uh, you know, he fell asleep talking to a scout, you know, like 2 a.m. I'm just – this guy, I knew that he worked hard and all of that. Um, what is – is this what he does? Like, 
every day? Like this is his daily thing, or was it because of this, you know, trade deadline? That no. that's why it was a little different, you know. No, that's him. That's how AJ yeah. Preller is wired. I think it's funny. Some people came up to me and go, "Oh, it's really interesting." A couple of details. They were drinking Soto sake at eleven mm-hmm. o'clock at night when they signed the deal, and he fell asleep with the phone on his ear for forty-five minutes on the couch talking about a possible another trade the next day on deadline day. I'm like, yeah, I wrote that about a week ago. I wonder if anybody read that. So <laughs> it was just yeah. funny to me. I right. had all I had all those details. Right. Fantastic. He's the best news guy in baseball. I saw yours. Yeah, I saw yours first. But then Passons came out. I don't know if he had another detail or something, but yeah, I definitely saw yours first. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's not important, but I just thought it was funny. Um, but yeah, I, I, I sat down with AJ immediately after the press conference where they introduced Bell and Soto. And uh, we sat down and just talked through that night and everything else. And um, he talked about who brought this Soto Saki that they found when they, they signed the deal. He went home, he said, just to get out of the room. And that whole night from, Monday, you know, finalizing an epic trade deal, one of the biggest, if not the biggest in baseball history. Um, he slept 45 minutes and in that 45 minutes, he woke up and he said he had the phone on his ear and he fell asleep talking to a scout about a possible option on another trade the next day. And that's just how he is. I mean, he's he does two things. He lives baseball and he plays pickup basketball. <laughs> and that's his release, his thing. Um in between, there's no room for almost anything else. And that's the reason, you know, no matter what you think of the effectiveness of his signings or his trades or decision-making in the front office, I just can't imagine there's a harder working GM in baseball. And I, I don't even think it's close. Mm. So let me clarify here. So you said 45 minutes. He got 45 minutes, like, in total that night? Yeah. Holy yeah. cow. So. He went to sleep at like 2 a.m. and woke up before 3 a.m. and then continued talking until the deadline was over. Yeah, I'm not even sure what time he was at home, but yeah, you're probably in the range. But he said he went home and he was on the couch having that phone call and he fell asleep. And in like 45 minutes, he got back up and then he was getting ready to head back in. See, I can can understand that. Like being up at 3 a.m., people might say, oh, my goodness. But on the East Coast, that's 6 a.m. and, you know, they're up on deadline day. So. I can understand that, but 45 minutes of sleep, that's um, yeah. that that's like legendary stuff, I think. You know, you just executed the hater trade. I know that hasn't worked out great. Soto, uh, two weeks earlier, I, I thought Drury would be a big fit. No one was talking about him, but then they go acquire him. Uh, Cam Gallagher, I know that's not really a name anyone cares about, but continuing to work. And then I saw a picture after uh, the trade deadline was over, he was down watching the game on field level. Yeah, he's just he's not a normal person. He's just not. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't operate in any way someone would define as normal. He doesn't have sleep patterns that are considered normal. I remember when I did a big profile <clears throat> of him when uh, I talked to the old president of the Padres, Mike D about got this inside story nobody had about how he got hired and they met at him Preller Preller had met him at, I think it was LAX, that D and the Padres had already decided on their next uh, general manager, and it wasn't A.J. Preller. But he kind of begged for one more conversation, and they met in a a darkened restaurant that was already closed in the terminal at LAX. And after, you know, that went to like four in the morning or something, and and D called 
Ron Fowler and Seidler and said, we got to change. We need this guy. And so from the very beginning, he, he just doesn't operate conventionally. He doesn't, he doesn't operate with limits. He doesn't, I mean, completely. I mean, everybody says, okay, Bob Melvin, that's great. Ton of experience. He's won in places in Oakland with no payroll at all. Um, But what they don't talk about is how does somebody get a, a manager from a team that's still under contract with that team? So he went and got a manager that was under contract and worked that out. And, and how many other teams are going to agree to something like that? That in a, in a nutshell is, is Preller's unconventional thinking. He, mm-hmm. he doesn't think like any normal rational person was like, well, we can't go get Bob Melvin. He's under contract. No, he started the conversation, made it happen. Everybody said, no, they can't, they can't get Juan Soto. Um, their farm systems ranked, you know, 15th or 17th in baseball after being near the top for so long. It's funny. He called me the day after the press conference and he's never done this, but called, called uh, just to say, yeah, I, I was telling you, I wrote about him a couple weeks earlier about how this was going to be a defining trade line, deadline for him and the franchise. He's never had a full uh, season playoff appearance, only the, 2020 60 game season there, you know, he's gotten a leash that general managers traditionally do not get in cities if they don't produce playoff teams. And I, one of the questions I asked him about the farm system rankings, and that's the only time, even though he doesn't really change his demeanor, you could tell he's like, no, our farm system's much better than those rankings. And he just called and said, I I was trying to tell you, we had all kinds of teams talking to us about players because everyone values our farm system more than the people who actually rank them. And so, you know, he, he just, he just knocks down all those barriers, all those obstacles and, and, uh, and thinks about how to get it done. He, he said he and Seidler and I talked to Seidler, they've been kind of dreaming and talking about Juan Soto for two years. I mean, they've been targeting him for a while. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's Preller. He, he doesn't sleep. He's always got a phone to his ear talking baseball with somebody. Um, but I think his most defining characteristic, even, you know, maybe beyond what happens in a win-loss way moving forward is how he kind of uh, reshaped thinking in San Diego of what's possible or what's not possible. And in his world, there's not a whole lot that's not possible. Mm-hmm. I wanted to follow up because you talk about, you know, that meeting at LAX. Do you know who that GM was supposed to be? Yeah. Who was it? Um, was it Epler? Went with the Angels. I'd have to go back and look it up. I had it in the story. I think it might have yeah. been Billy Epler. Um, I, I don't want to put all my all my chips in the middle of the table yeah. on that, but I think that's who it was. Okay. But but and if you go back and find the Preller LAX story, it's in there. Okay. Um, I also wanted to ask, like, you talk about his sleep schedule and all that. Do you know, like, is this guy does he go to Denny's still and uh like do you know what he does like what he eats is he healthy like I know it might seem like a weird question but we're uncovering a lot here about Preller well maybe not uncovering it but talking about it right here yeah um you know I don't I don't know he doesn't he doesn't share a lot of personal stuff that's the Mm -hmm. reason the Soto trade deadline piece that I wrote I was I was kind of excited about that because he revealed a lot of detail. And so that was, you don't get a peek behind the curtain with Preller too much, but that whole unconventional thing, he, he walks around the park and, you know, long basketball shorts, like he's a member of the fab five at Michigan. And 
some company that he, he met these guys one time and now they send him all the time. He's got these Japanese T-shirts. That's the thing. He's not just connected in Latin America and he threw himself in a couple um, countries, immersed himself to learn Spanish, forced himself to do it. And now he speaks Spanish, which is a huge advantage over GMs who don't because he, he develops real connections with a lot of players they can't. Um, but I, I remember in the tunnel at, in Washington, somebody walked by and was it might have been the guy from the Associated Press. And he kind of pointed and he looked and, and probably was standing there and goes, is that the Padres GM? And you could just tell the way he was dressed. Very casual. He wasn't in shorts. He, you know, but he didn't look like whatever a GM looks like. And this guy was like, is that really the Padres GM? And I go, yeah, that's him. And so in all those ways, he's, he's a different cat for sure. Yeah. All right. So before we get out of here, I wanted to talk about this offense real quick. Uh, I think it's a very intriguing question here. Like which guys do you think the Padres still believe can, you know, turn it around? Are there some guys where it's like, no, this is the guy who it is. This is just who he is, you know, right. with uh, Alfaro <laughs> maybe just feels like he's striking out a ton. There's tons yeah. of guys in this lineup that are, you know, struggling, but there, there are some that I feel like I'm confident they can turn it around, like Jay Cronenworth's one of those guys. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I know they think, you know, Bell and, and uh, you know, um, Drury, a couple right. of guys – uh, that there's just too much track record. Well, in Bell's case, there's way there's way too much track record that says otherwise. And he's starting to hit. He had a multi-hit game the other night. He he's homered. He's you you can see you can see it coming with Bell. I think um, you know what you're getting in Soto. You know what you're getting in Machado. Um, Drury, I, I think they're kind of do a wait and see. It'll be interesting. Those two guys, Drury and Bell. Or free agents, but the money is significantly different. I, Drury might be like nine seventy-five or something, and then right now Bell I think is ten million. So what do you, do you make decisions on either one of those guys or both of those guys? And I think what will really factor into that is is what they do offensively here down the stretch, um, because th- those could be different make difference makers in the lineup. I think we've seen enough to know Will Myers is not a difference maker in the lineup. He's he can get hot, mm-hmm. but that everybody said that his whole career. Um, I just don't feel like you can depend on his bat consistently. You can't depend on Trent Grisham. Uh, the, you know, I think Hassan, Hassan Kim has been a really nice surprise. Defensively, he's been fantastic. Um, but his bat, you can see him. It's kind of night and day from last season to this season, catching mm-hmm. up with major league velocity. Um, that was the big obstacle and that's what they were looking for. And he's doing that more consistently all the time. It's, it's just, I'm kind of working my way around the diamond. Cronenworth has been a, a little bit of a disappointment. I mean, he's a two time all-star at this point and you thought you knew what you had there. And, and, uh, if he gets hot, that changes a lot in that lineup. Uh, cause you're talking about him hitting, you know, sixth, fifth, mm-hmm. five, six, somewhere in there. Um, so if there's more trouble, once you get past Machado, Soto, Drury, Bell, um, lengthen that lineup, then offensively it should, I mean, on paper, this lineup looks really good. Yeah. Like, games are not played on paper. Uh, I get emails all the time. What about the hitting coach? What about, and it's just, I don't think anybody, you can tell when, 
when Bob Melvin talks about it, he doesn't get it. He doesn't know why either. Um, it's just kind of a, I, you know, there's, if there are answers there, he, he would have provided some, um, we would see, we would be able to say, here's why a third of that lineup that has an incredible track record is not producing right now over the course of a couple of weeks against bad teams. This was really a stretch they had to, to make some ground um, because you're going to see, you know, I know, I don't know what the number is now, but over it's even less, but at the 39 game mark, they still had nine against the Dodgers who were, you know, on pace to win 110, 112 games. Um, so not having the offense now, what what are you going to do when you have to win some games against the Dodgers? You're going to get started yeah. pitching, but the offense, I'd love to sit here and tell you I know what's going on with that offense. I have no idea, and I'm not you, sure anybody. You'd be in the dugout, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, no idea, no clue. They, they sh- There's no reason this team should get shut out in what is it, for the last 12 games or something like yeah. that, I don't know what that number is. That just shouldn't happen. And at home, um, you know, getting beat seven, seven, nothing by the guardians, not, not putting up, they've left their numbers are so bizarre too offensively because they get a ton of base runners. They get, yes. a ton. they don't drive any of them in. So they leave bases loaded multiple times in a game. They, they leave two guys on all the time. They get a guy at second base with no outs and don't bring him home. Um, it's just situational hitting, runners in scoring position. If if there's a gravestone on this season at the end, if they don't make the playoffs, that'll be the epitaph that that they couldn't hit with runners in scoring position because they got pretty good defense. They got they've gotten tremendous starting pitching all season long. I, you think about those guys who are continually getting beat two one. You know, throwing six innings, giving them a chance, and you can't you can't come up with three runs. And so it's yeah, offensively it's 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 about bringing guys home when they're on base and they're not doing it. Yeah. Like Will said after the game yesterday in the clubhouse, they just got to find a way to be better at that. We'll see if they can be better at that. Um, Bryce, I really, really appreciate the time. Thank you so sure. much for stopping by. Yeah. Glad to. All right. This has been episode 222 of the Talking Friars podcast and YouTube show for Ben Fadden, Bryce Miller. Have a good off day. Go Padres. Keep the faith. And I'll talk to you later.